A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. It is the last Cam and Company of the year, although I will be taking part in next week's VIP Gold Live Chat with Hot Air's Ed Morrison. That's next Wednesday at 1.30 Eastern, but... I'm going to be taking a few days off. Uh, We'll pick back up with the show in 2022. And so to talk about, uh, not only taking a little look back at uh, some of the big Second Amendment stories of 2021, but also looking ahead at some of the fights that we can expect, at hopefully some of the successes that we will see in 2022, uh, we're going to spend some time today with Alan Gottlieb of the Second Amendment Foundation, the founder of the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, talking about Again, what gun owners uh, can look back on and, you know, kind of not say, yeah, we did that, uh, as well as the impending threats to our right to keep and bear arms we need to be aware of. Take a look and a listen. Alan, it's so good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming on the program today. My pleasure, Cam. It's always great to be with you and your listeners. Well, this is going to be the last Cam and Company of the year. So I I thought we could uh, use this as an opportunity to look back a little bit on 2021 and then look ahead because 2022 is going to be a really critical year for gun owners, not only with the midterm elections, but we've got a lot of other stuff coming down the pike. But, you know, when you look back at at this past year, I mean, we saw five states adopt constitutional carry legislation. Uh, The Supreme Court accepted a major case dealing with the right to keep and bear arms. And we were able to successfully defeat Joe Biden's anti-gun nominee to head up the ATF. I mean, I think those are three of the major success stories that gun owners can look back on this year and say, look, we accomplished something uh, substantial this year. Yeah, I think we can add a fourth to that. And that is we have a record number of Second Amendment sanctuary cities, counties and states now as well to push back against you know unconstitutional federal gun control laws. So those four things are pretty good. And, and on the positive side, But also, as you mentioned, you know, we also set back a whole anti-gun rights agenda uh, in a number of blue states as well as, you know, Congress. So uh, considering they threw the kitchen sink at us, we did pretty well. I think that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's interesting because you bring up the Second Amendment sanctuary uh, movement, which continues. I mean, this really kicked off. Going back in 2018, I think, really is when we started to see the rise of the Second Amendment Sanctuary Movement, but it has continued to grow. And it's gone from seeing, you know, counties and and cities adopting these measures to now you have states that are passing Second Amendment Sanctuary provisions. Uh, And that's incredibly encouraging to see. Yeah. And in raw numbers, we now have actually a majority, well well over a majority of the counties in the country that are Second Amendment Sanctuary counties. So how do you think that how how do you think that impacts the gun control lobby going forward? Because, you know, we're already seeing, for instance, with California Governor Gavin Newsom say, well, we think this Texas anti-abortion law is unconstitutional, but we're going to try to do the same thing with guns. It, it, it seems to me like, you know, they're already setting up a, a scenario in which if they do pass uh, some major piece of gun control legislation automatically now, we're likely to see, as you say, over half the country say, nope, not interested in enforcing that law. Uh, yeah, but again, they look at it as that those, the Second Amendment sanctuary movement victories are just, you know, uh, cosmetic or virtual. They're not real. And uh, they don't think they have much merit legally to them. And so they're pushing ahead anyway. Uh, I expect, though, in, in, in next year, 
that we're going to see a, an avalanche, both on the federal level and in those heavily blue states of anti-gun proposals and legislation, uh, because they're going to double down on it. You know, are they, uh, the gun prohibition lobby in this country is not exactly happy that Biden hasn't gotten much of his anti-gun agenda through Congress. Uh, and with Biden's poll numbers and everything else right now, and, and the catastrophes he's had as, as running his you know, country as president, I think he's going to pick up that mantle to try and, and organize his base and, and, you know, and energize them. And we're going to see doubling down on, on gun control you know, provisions uh, floated in Congress, in the House, and the Senate. And, and they're going to really go after guns like we've never, ever seen before. So one of the things, like as an example, the Second Amendment Foundation, we're launching the first week of January, uh, a, a new ad TV campaign on national television, the record number of well over 220 TV spots nationally that are going to run that week alone. Uh, and I'm hoping we can get some pushback in the organization and, and continue to, to help aid and abet polling data that's been totally opposed to the Biden anti-gun agenda. Yeah, you know, the polls that you mentioned, I think are really interesting because we've seen multiple polls show support for gun control declining dramatically. Um, Democrats, you know, they're still hanging on to that idea that we can just, you know, ban and arrest our way to safety. We just criminalize the exercise of a constitutionally protected right. Everything will be fine. But independent voters uh, support for gun control is dropping off of a cliff right now. Uh, and it seems to me like, you know, anybody who is not wedded uh, to the Democratic Party's ideology is, is looking around saying, OK, listen, things are getting worse. Crime's going up. I don't feel secure. I don't feel safe. I want to be able to protect myself. Uh, and, and we're seeing this translate into millions of new gun owners around the country. Are we also seeing this translate into more Second Amendment activists around the country? Yes, I think so. I think a lot of people who have now gone out and bought guns for the first time, and we have like a record number of first-time, you know, gun buyers over the last couple of years. Uh, they're looking at, well, I've, and I now own a gun. Now I have to take my right to keep it. Uh, and and it wasn't as so easy to get as I was told it was. There were a lot of you know, hoops I had to jump through before I could get my firearm. Uh, and so they're coming into the gun rights movement now in record numbers as well. And a lot of those people, you know, are you know minorities, women, people living in inner cities. Uh, it's not just the old white men and Republicans, so to speak. A lot of those are the independent voters. Absolutely. And guys like me, by the way, are supposed to be bothered by this. If you listen to the gun control lobby, you and I are supposed to be, oh, this is horrible. Look at all these. I love it. I love it. We're talking about a right of the people. And I love to see more people exercising that right. I don't care if they agree with me politically. I don't care if they look like me or think like me or talk like me or live like me. As long as they are a responsible American citizen, I am so glad to see them embracing their right to keep and bear arms. Uh, and I want to encourage more folks to do that. Now, again, you talked about this onslaught of gun control legislation that we're likely to see in 2022. And I think that's absolutely right. Uh, this is a an election year. Democrats want to be able to try to show their base, look, we're doing something. Uh, so in, in the blue states, as you say, they're going to come after us hard. In Congress, they're going to be introducing all kinds of stuff. I don't know how far any of it's going to go, but they're going to lay it out there. And of course, we do have the Biden administration's executive actions, right? So even though we were able to defeat David Chipman's nomination, the Biden administration, the ATF is still looking at these proposals and they're expected to implement next year these proposals on turning uh, pistols with stabilizing braces into short barreled rifles that need to be registered under the federal government, going after home built unserialized firearms. Or what's the Second Amendment Foundation? Uh, are you all already preparing to respond once the administration acts on these uh, these proposals? Well, we already have a suit file example on on the, on the firearm the braces issue. 
uh, in federal court. And the government Justice Department has continued to ask for delays on it because they don't have their final rules in place yet. Uh, and so we've agreed to the delays until we have the final rule, which will amend our complaint in court and, and immediately turn around and sue. And I think that lawsuit hanging over the administration is what's, is what's delaying their final rule, quite frankly, is they're trying to figure out how to make a final rule that might get around our lawsuit. Uh, and we're prepared to file other lawsuits as well. And so we're watching it very, very, very closely. In fact, we have three new lawsuits we're going to file right after the first of the year that really deal with gun owner privacy, also deal with the right to carry, uh, and, you know, and we're, we're looking at some, some additional suits. Uh, these, these ones that law firms are already working on. So in January, we'll, we'll file three new ones right out of the box. That's fantastic. And, you know, and, and let's talk about the legal strategy that uh, the ASAF is, is uh, engaged in right now, because, again, with the Supreme Court expected to rule next June in the New York carry case, not only are they going to uh, do we expect that they're going to actually address New York's carry laws, but we also anticipate that they're going to talk about the standard of review that should be used and in, in other Second Amendment challenges going forward. And this really, it, it, you know, I, I don't I don't want to pump this up too much, but this really is an opportunity for the Supreme Court to lay out in, in clear terms what the standard should be, because right now you've got these lower courts just absolutely abusing what the court has said in Heller and McDonald in order to uphold some of these infringements on our right to keep and bear arms. And that's true. And we also filed last week a cert petition with the U.S. Supreme Court challenging, uh, asking this court to overturn the Maryland so-called ban on, on assault weapons. Uh, and so that also goes to that standard of review question as well. So that puts pressure on the court. They can they can help resolve all these questions in the case before them right now, or they can have, end up hearing a whole bunch of other cases in the future. So do you think that that, uh, that Supreme Court case, I mean, is this as much of a game changer or do you think it, it, it can be as much of a game changer as, uh, as, as you know, a lot of us think that it will be? Well, Cam, let me say this. I really believe we're going to win that Supreme Court challenge against the New York carry law that exists right now. The question is how big a victory will it be? Will they just take out that law uh, or will they, you know, word it in a way that uh, really takes out other laws around the country as well. Will they address that standard review question that you raised? Uh, I think that they really have a chance here to clean up a lot of the lower courts' uh, miscalculations by thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court decisions that you referenced that already, we've already won, particularly the Second Amendment Foundation win in McDonald, which really bothers me a lot. Lower courts just pretend it didn't exist. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping we get a really big win. We're going to get a win. The question is, how big will it be? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have to wait a few more months to figure that out. Uh, and, and by the time that decision comes down, Alan, I think it is uh, almost a certainty that we're going to have more constitutional carry states than the 21 that we have now. I don't know how many we will have by next June, but I, you know, you look at states like Florida, uh, Georgia, uh, Ohio, uh, even Alabama, you know, we've got at least four or five other states out there that, that appear poised to pass constitutional carry once their state legislatures return. Obviously, gun owners need to be involved and engaged here. But uh, these are at least there are at least four or five states where I think the, the signs are favorable for the passage of constitutional carry. Yeah, just so that all your listeners realize what we're talking about, because some of them they don't understand what constitutional carry really means. It means you can carry a firearm for self-defense without having to get a permit to exercise a constitutional right. Right, exactly. And we've got 21 states where that's now the law of the land, five states uh, uh, added to the ranks of the constitutional carry states last year. 
Um, do, do you think that 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 momentum you talk about the momentum we've seen for the Second Amendment sanctuary movements? Do you think the uh, momentum for constitutional carry is going to continue next year? Well, I'm glad you raised the question that way, because I think with the four or five more, when we finally they come on board and you have a majority of states having constitutional carry, that's what's going to really give us momentum. Will it give us a lot more states for constitutional carry? Maybe not, but I think what it really will give us momentum for is to get some of the more may issue laws rather than shall issue laws off the books and help push the right the right to carry in general. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, 2022 is going to be a critically important year for gun owners, uh, both in terms of the electoral politics, in terms of the legal fights we're facing, the legislation, the regulation. And we've got to be involved and engaged because if you're on the couch, you're, you're missing out. You're not helping to defend your rights. And we need this is an all hands on deck time period right now. Yeah, particularly with the threats that we're going to be facing, because what, we, what you're going to see coming at us, uh, you know, the Bloombergs and the Soros of the world are going to be putting tens of millions of dollars into the battle to take away our gun rights. We all have to be engaged and up front on the front line of this battle. Absolutely. So if folks want more information about the Second Amendment Foundation. Alan, how can they find it? Easily on the internet at saf.org, samalphafrank.org, or just put Second Amendment Foundation in any browser, and we're going to pop up right up. Well, listen, I got to tell you, it has been uh, uh, so useful to have you join us throughout the year here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I always enjoy talking with you. Full disclosure, I'm a member of the board of the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. And right here behind me, Alan, I have this beautiful award that I received recently. You can see that there, Cam Edwards, the uh, 2021 Ray Carter Blogger and Media Creator Award. So I just want to say thank you very much uh, for this award. This is truly a huge honor, and uh, and I'm, I'm so proud to be able to display it uh, prominently here in the home office. Well, Cam, you earned that award, and we're very, very proud to give it to you, and congratulations and to you and all your listeners and viewers that make it all possible. Well, thank you very much again, and I look forward to uh, to keeping up uh, the fight with you in the new year. We are marching towards uh, firearms freedom, and Alan Gottlieb, thank you so much, sir, for joining us on the program today. My pleasure. See you again next year. I appreciate Alan joining us as always. Uh, now let's get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a story from CWB Chicago. Check this out. 16-time convicted felon gets probation for stealing purses from an elderly cancer patient and a nurse at Northwestern Hospital. Now, look, this is a nonviolent offense, right? But this is also, again, a 16-time convicted felon. Prosecutors initially charged 59-year-old Daryl Barry with multiple counts of theft and identity theft for the crimes which took place back in April and June of last year. He was arrested in August of last year after he went back to the hospital and security guards said, Ah, that guy looks familiar. Uh, according to prosecutors, in the first theft, uh, while the hospital had limited staffing because of uh, COVID, he entered the hospital cafeteria and used his foot to pull a nurse's purse away from her as she ate lunch. Then a couple months later, he comes back to that same cafeteria, uh, takes a elderly cancer patient's purse from the back of her chair and walked out of the building. Uh, Barry is now pleading guilty to two counts of theft in connection with the crimes. Prosecutors dropped an aggravated identity theft case involving the elderly cancer patient. And Judge Alexander Gillespie sentenced uh, uh, the man to two years probation and 30 hours of community service. Yeah. <clears throat> By the way, Barry was on parole at the time of these incidents 
for identity theft of a victim over the age of 60, as well as theft from a person and felony theft. He only served six, uh, excuse me, half of his six-year sentence before the state released him for prison. So he has gone to prison before for identity theft. And, it, I, you know, again, I, I don't know all of the circumstances of this case, but it, boy, it sure seems to me like maybe the judge here said, well, you know, he went to prison last time. That didn't work. Maybe we'll just keep him out of prison this time around. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but as CWB Chicago reports, uh, before Barry's prison sentence, the, the last one, he's also, uh, let's see, go back to 1979, two years for theft in 79, four years for theft in 1993, two years for forgery in 95, two years for narcotics in 98, um, oh, about two and a half months, or excuse me, two and a half years uh, for theft from a person in 2001, two years for theft in 2002, three years for retail theft in 2003. Four years for theft from a person in 2005, three years for retail theft in 2005, three years for theft from a person in 2010, four years for theft in 2012. Do you notice a pattern here with like all of these previous criminal felony convictions? Yeah. And again, I realize Chicago doesn't just have a nonviolent crime problem. It has a violent crime problem right now. But honestly, probation. 30 hours of community service. I mean, at what point you hate, I, I, I'm not saying maybe it's time to warehouse this 59 year old guy, but clearly the, uh, uh, consequences for his actions in the past have not been enough to dissuade him from continuing to do these things in the future. So I'm not sure that a slap on the wrist, I have no expectation actually that a slap on the wrist here is uh, going to do the trick. All right, today's armed citizen story from Syracuse, New York, where the district attorney says a shooting on the city's south side uh, is and was an act of self-defense. Now, it took months for the district attorney to reach this conclusion because the shooting happened back in late April of this year. Quentin Harrison Jr. shot multiple times. He was attempting to rob a group of three men when he was fatally shot, according to the Onondaga County DA William Fitzpatrick. There was a neighbor in the area, apparently walked outside. She heard the gunshot. She saw a man stagger and fall to the ground. Uh, the three men who Harrison attempted to rob all cleared of homicide charges after it was ruled that they acted in self-defense. Two of the three, however, have been charged with illegally possessing a firearm. George Parks and Tyrone Collins are now facing charges again of possessing a firearm without a license in New York, which is considered in and of itself a violent felony offense. And this is one of the reasons why these possessory gun laws are being challenged. We had oral arguments in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin just uh, last month. The Supreme Court's decision expected to come in June. And again, in New York, you can't, generally speaking, unless you demonstrate some sort of special purpose or good cause or justifiable need, you can't get a license to carry a firearm. So you can say, hey, look, I live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of crime, where people are getting robbed. I'd like to be able to protect myself. And odds are that the uh, judge or the county sheriff's going to come back and say, nah, not good enough. I mean, there are lots of other people who live in bad neighborhoods with high crime, and uh, no, we don't let them carry, so why are you special? The uh, third man, by the way, uh, who was involved in this uh, case, uh, who was found to act in self-defense, or at least was involved in the robbery, uh, not charged because his gun was inoperable. So we'll keep our eyes on this case because the outcome of those charges that uh, these two men are facing uh, may very well be impacted by that uh, upcoming 
Supreme Court decision. Uh, And finally today, our good deed of the day from the city of Chicago, where a police officer in the right place at the right time will enable to do the right thing to step into the smoke and save somebody who needed rescuing from a house fire. This is about 9.30 Wednesday morning in the Inglewood neighborhood. Uh, Chicago fire crews responded to a a two-story home that was ablaze. There were six tenants inside the house when it started. Uh, Joseph Ortiz says, I felt the smoke. All right, he said, he said, I felt the floor getting hotter and hotter. Stepped out of the room, opened my door, it was full of smoke, hallway, everything full of smoke. Started seeing flames coming out of the bathroom. Now, there was a Chicago police officer who was on a call nearby, and he saw the smoke. So he didn't get the call to respond, but he went there anyway. Gained entry to the house, ran up to the second floor, picked up Mr. Ortiz in his wheelchair, and carried him out to safety. Afterwards, Ortiz said, thank you for saving my life. I don't know what would have happened. Officer taken to local hospital, treated for smoke inhalation. The uh, tenants say they believe the fire started on the first floor and then spread. They don't know why it happened. Ortiz says he's lost everything. He says, I'm going to have to start back over. But he says, everything's going to be all right. I'm alive. So everything will be all right. And again, he might not have been able to say that. Were it not for the uh, quick thinking and the fast actions of that Chicago police officer. We don't know that officer's name, by the way. It has not been uh, released yet, but we do thank him very much for his life-saving good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, uh, for being a part of this program, for supporting us by being VIP members, by showing up and reading the stories at BarryandArms.com, by watching the program every day. It absolutely means a lot to us. Uh, We really do appreciate your support. The number of independent journalists out there who are covering Second Amendment news and information is pretty slim compared to the magnitude of the anti-gun media out there. So your support really does make a difference, and I, I just can't tell you how much it means to us. So I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas. Hope you have a very Happy New Year. We will talk to you in uh, early 2022. Uh, by the way, while I'm gone, the other great writers at Bearing Arms are going to be keeping the home fires lit. So uh, Tom Knight and John Petrolino, Ranjit Singh, uh, I might even be kicking in a story or two during my vacation because it is hard for me to stay away. I just, I I, I you know what? I'm passionate about this issue. When I see a headline pop up, I'm like, I want to say something about that, even when I'm supposed to be off of work. So you will probably see a story or two from me at Bearing Arms between now and uh, the new year. But you certainly will be seeing more coverage of all of these Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about uh, from the other great folks. The team that we have at Bearing Arms is spectacular, and uh, and I thank them as well. Anyway, I'm rambling now. I'll 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 end this. But again, thank you very much for all of your support. Look forward to talking to you again soon. And until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. 